Welcome everybody into the ESPN FC studios for this, the latest edition of the show. Alongside Ale Moreno, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Great to have you with us. We do have lots to get to, so let's start things off in the Bundesliga where Bayern Munich played to a 2-2 draw away against Freiburg. Bayern Munich with a 2-1 lead late before conceding in the 87th minute. Thomas Ducal after the match speaking with our Archie Rin Tut said the first 30 minutes was quote terrible uh, as Munich dropped points from a winning position away from home. And here's what it means for the top half of the Bundesliga table. Bayern Munich missing out on a chance to pull just that little bit closer to your league leaders Bayer Leverkusen. The gap now seven points for the 11 time defending league champions to the top of the table. Let's hear from Thomas Tuchel the disappointed manager after the match. How would you sum up the game today? Terrible half an hour from us. Okay, 10, 15 minutes in the first half, not more than okay. Second half, a good half. Uh, with big chances, good spirit, much better, much better discipline, much better uh, quality in our match overall. And uh, we could have we could have won deserved, but uh, we uh, did not defend the throw-in, the, the set piece, the, how it is needed to escape with a win. So we have to live with one point. Overall, we can say it was uh, not enough in the first half to fully deserve the victory. Just finally, what do you take from this game into the Lazio one now? The season defining, it seems. Yeah, kind of, but. Um, um, well, we have to decide if we focus on the first half an hour in our meeting or we focus on the last 60 minutes or, and then we need to decide which is our face. But if we are honest, both is our face in too many matches of the season. We show both our faces too often and it's hard for us to, to, to keep going, obviously. And uh, yeah, but still we will do and we will analyze it. We will now not lose our head and we will, we will push the team against Lazio. Thomas, thank you very much. Thank you. Thomas Tuchel, of course, uh, now knows he's on his way out this summer. Bayern Munich with a chance to reel Leverkusen just a little bit closer. They miss out. The gap stands at seven. Leverkusen will be in action on Sunday with a chance to push the lead atop the table to ten. For more on this, we welcome into the show our good friend and colleague Don Hutchison. Don, we'll get to you in uh, just a second. Ali, you and I were on the coverage of this game. I mean, is it almost fair to say Bayern were lucky just to get a draw here? Well, they were lucky certainly in the first half because, honestly, Freiburg created opportunities. They forced turnovers, went in transition, went on the counter, had multiple opportunities to score goals. They did not. Manuel Neuer came up with a couple of saves. But regardless, when you look at Bayern Munich in those first 30 minutes, one may suggest, well, where did this come from? I can tell you, having followed this team all season long, yeah, you see this from Bayern Munich all the time. Sometimes for 30 minutes, sometimes for a half, sometimes for 20 minutes, but you see it all the time that this is a team that tends to be passive, that settles on the sideways and backwards and sideways and backwards and invites pressure, turns the ball over in bad areas, struggle with transition defensively. They're too slow in those transitions defensively. That's why they get exposed. That's why they have so many frailties defensively. They're allowing goals and then you would have to say, well, but 
do they have enough talent to go and create chances themselves? They do when they decide to play the ball forward. And the difference in the second half between the Bayern that we saw in the first half and the second half is very simple. You see Bayern Munich actually playing the ball forward, allowing Jamal Musiala to get on the turn. When he gets on the turn, then he creates all sorts of problems for other teams because now he's going to attract attention. And if he attracts attention, then that opens up the space for a little diagonal movement from Harry Kane. And he became, becomes far more effective and efficient because he's attacking the goal, which is exactly what you want Harry Kane to to be doing. He had a couple of chances today, did not put him away. They allow Freiber to hang around, hang around, hang around long enough for Freiber to take advantage of a set piece. No surprise to anybody that Bayern Munich doesn't take care of the details at the end of the game. They don't see it out. They haven't done that over the course of the season. Wasted opportunity. They drop two points and they allow Bayer Leverkusen yet another opportunity to extend the lead. Game finishes 2-2. Don, you had an eye on this match. You also heard the comments there from Thomas Tuchel post-match. What do you make of the performance from Bayern, and what do you make of what the manager had to say? No, performance wasn't good enough. I mean, seven games without a clean sheet. Bayern just don't do clean sheets. They're, I think Ali's nailed it. The way you watch them, they look, they look fragile. There's no patterns of play. They rely on moments in the game. Harry Kane had a couple of chances where different day, different story. He tooks them away, but they were never, never really comfortable in the game. My, my biggest takeaway from the whole game wasn't really what happened on the pitch. It was a good game of football to watch, four really good goals. I felt really uncomfortable watching the scenes at 2-1. His substitutions weren't great, by the way, when he took, he took Muller off and took Musiala off when they were winning 2-1 for defensive solutions. So trying to hang on to a game, that's not the buy-in way. I understand it because they're fragile, but not great. But my biggest takeaway from the game was watching Thomas Tuchel Laughing and joking with Thomas Muller at 2-1 when the game is in the balance with about 10, 15 minutes to go. Then even worse at the end of the game when the game finished 2-2. I think it might have been the Freiburg staff. I couldn't be sort of for sure, but it looked like Freiburg staff. Thomas Tuchel was hugging them. He was laughing. He was joking. That's a manager that's just drawn, drawn a 2-2 game and is not going to win the title this year for the first time in about 11 years. It's ridiculous. So I just wonder if I found that an uncomfortable watch I wonder what the hierarchy think, and I wonder if it's time to relieve him of his duties because this can't carry on. Hmm. Ale, what do you think? I mean, is there a case to be made to get rid of Tuchel now? You still got second leg of the Champions League against Lazio. There's still something there for Bayern. Wow. There is something there for Bayern, but there is nothing there for Thomas Tuchel. And we mentioned in the coverage of this game that it has to be very odd for a player to walk into a locker room knowing full well that the manager who's about to walk into that locker room it's a dead man walking. He's no longer making decisions that affect your future, that impact your present and affect your future. And if that's not the guy, then it becomes very difficult to have a connection with the manager, a connection that carries you through difficult moments in a game. Thomas Suchel, quite frankly, given what we have seen from him in the post-game interviews with Archie Rintot, and going back to last weekend as well, in which he was essentially saying, look, this is no longer my problem, so I don't worry so much. If you have a manager that is saying that, and you have players that come into the locker room knowing full well that this is not going to be the manager for the future, when a game is on the balance, that's when this sort of things show up. When a game is right there to be won or to be lost, that's when this sort of things show up. Because when you need that little extra, when you need that push, is this team giving you that extra push? I don't quite see it. And I haven't seen it, to be fair, I haven't seen it over the course of the season at all from Bayern Munich. So much less now than 
when you know that the teacher is not going to be the teacher. Mm. Dead man walking is not a manager. It's not an effective manager. It just simply doesn't work that way. Don knows this very well. If you know that guy is gone, yeah, he no longer holds the authority that he once did. And he's speaking differently uh, as well. We talked about it in the post-match press conference. There's a transparency. I wonder, it also felt almost like shots fired at the team when he's saying, well, we got to decide how we're going to approach the first 30 minutes. We got to decide which, which face is going to turn up. I mean, isn't that directed at his guys? I, I, well, I think what he's saying is that this is not new. We've been trying the whole season, basically. Me, my coaching staff, we put together the training sessions, we put together the videos, we focus on the first part where you weren't so good, we focus on the second part where you were good, we show you both, and it doesn't make a difference because next time we show up and do exactly the same thing. So yeah, in some ways it's an admission of, we tried it, we, don't, we see it in the training ground, and then all of a sudden it, a different team shows up on the field when it counts, when it matters. If you have that disconnect, he's essentially saying, we're going to do the best we can, but it's these guys that got to be motivated to pull themselves out of a bad situation. It's not happening in Bundesliga. This is over. As it pertains to Champions League, they should be able to get past Lazio. However, uh, this is Bayern Munich. The current version of Bayern Munich that we're talking about, this team is capable of losing to anybody. Don, I'm trying to find a positive here for Bayern Munich. Maybe it's today at least, Jamal Musiala and that golazo. Yeah, he's, he's always a positive because he's a brilliant young player and you forget that he's only 20. But you go back to the, the, the game, I mean, it's a lovely goal. He wriggles away from two or three players. And don't forget, he was, I say the man, he was the kid that had done it on the last day of the season to win by in the, 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 the title away from uh, Dortmund. But I go back to the game tonight, it was a chance for Bayern to go five behind and put a little bit of pressure on Leverkusen. So if... if if Bayern hadn't made the change a couple of weeks ago and you relieve Thomas Tuchel of his duties, then all of a sudden you can generate a little bit of momentum. I mean, Roma sacked Jose Mourinho, put Daniel De Rossi in, and the performances and results went through the roof straight away. So it might be Hansi Flick in short term. It might be someone within the club. But something needs to happen. Otherwise, they're just going to be really stale. And, if to- and this is not a slight. This I'm not having a go at Thomas Tuchel. I'm having a go at the scenario. If Thomas Tuchel is relieved of his duties, I would give Bayern more of a chance than going through against Lazio. If he mm. is still in charge, like Ali said about the dressing room and how the players react and their responsibilities, it's not easy. So you bring the game, even though Lazio have got a 1-0 lead, into a sort of 50-50 game where anything can happen. And I wouldn't rely on Bayern. They don't, go, mm. they don't do clean sheets. They, they, they just don't do them. They're just so fragile at the back. They're so loose in possession. So I just try to try to put myself in a player's point of view. If there was an immediate change going into the Lazio game, there would be then a response from the players inside the locker room. I mean, it's really hard, Ale, to mm-hmm. believe that this team, staying the same, is going to get it done against Lazio, even with all of Lazio's struggles, right? Well, it, it's hard to believe, yes, because if you watch Bayern Munich play, you know that they are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know that their midfield has been an issue. You know that offensively, while they seem to have on paper a whole lot of talent, it really has been Harry Kane scoring late goals to bail you out of games that potentially you didn't deserve to win. You know that defensively there are issues, and it's not just Dario Pamecano who admittedly has had issues and won't be available in the second leg because, well, he got himself thrown out in back-to-back games. He hasn't been great. But uh, overall, across that back line, nobody has been great. Mm-hmm. There's nobody that you can highlight and say, now, see, this guy has been good. 
So when you're having problems in every single line, in every single facet of the game, yeah, it's hard to make an argument for Bayern Munich. And I can only make the argument that the talent on the field, at least on paper, should be better than Lazio. Should have been better than Freiburg. Well, I, Seb, I am not defending Bayern Munich. I don't know if you're trying to post it as if I'm defending Bayern Munich. I am not. I'm picking Bayern Munich because I think they have more individual game winners than Lazio does. Jamal Musiala sort of moment. A Harry Kane sort of moment. Assuming that Leroy Sané plays and is interested in playing, he, ha he can have a moment. That's all I'm banking on here. On a moment of brilliance from an individual player. Because this is not a concept of a team that we're seeing from Bayern Munich. This is a group of individuals that do have a lot of talent and may be able to do, may be able to do something magical when they need it the most. Hasn't been the case over the course of the season. May just be in the second leg against Lazio. Bayern Munich then at home in the Champions League on Tuesday. They kick off match day 24 in the Bundesliga here on ESPN Plus with a 2-2 draw against Freiburg as we take a look at the upcoming schedule for the German top flight this weekend. Mainz and Borussia Mönchengladbach kicking things off 9.30 a.m. Uh, Eastern time. Borussia Dortmund in action Saturday morning uh, as well. And then Bayer Leverkusen, your league leaders, they play Sunday 9 a.m. Eastern time coverage starting here on ESPN Plus as Leverkusen are away against Cologne. The top half of La Liga, where we find Real Madrid, who look to be closing in on yet another league title right now. Six points clear of second place, Girona, and eight points clear of third place, uh, Barcelona. They'll be in action against Valencia uh, this weekend, Saturday kickoff uh, at Mestalla there. There you see the odds. No, no surprise. Real Madrid installed as significant favorites, despite the fact that they are away from home. For more on this game, we'll welcome into the show our very own Gemma Soler. Gemma, it was this fixture last year, Real Madrid visiting Valencia, where we saw uh, multiple incidents of racism, gestures, chants towards Vinicius Jr. I'm assuming there's a heightened awareness of this, a buzz around this game because of that uh, in the lead in this time around. Is that fair? Yes. Uh, hola, hola, Sepp. Uh, Ale, um, all eyes will be on the stands. And that's very sad because it's an historical clash. It's an amazing uh, football match. Uh, but uh, there is a lot of concern, uh, especially uh, La Liga, Valencia. They, they want to forget that, well, not to forget, but to work uh, something good about that incident and, and to make this game uh, like a role model for the next games on, on La Liga. The, the truth is that there's been a lot of uh, work from Valencia, from La Liga. They have been planning for weeks this match day. Uh, they want to avoid any other racial incident and all the fans have been warned that if there is any kind of trouble, actions will be taken. Uh, Valencia, they, they have highlighted that uh, on that day, on May last year, uh, three members of the young stands, the ones that they could be identified uh, with the TV footage, they were very quickly uh, uh, been arrested. The police took action. They have been detained. They are now waiting for trial and they have been banned to access to Mestalla uh, for life. And, and this is some kind of action to, to, to tell the rest of the people in the, in the stands, especially in that young stands, the, the Curva Joven, uh, 
where these incidents happen that not not to do this uh, anymore and they have take actions uh, one of uh, there is a, a concierge of Mestalla he's a very emblematic figure he has made a video and uh, that they have put in next to the all the flags of uh, the teams of La Liga he is the responsible he always change the the standings well they have put a special flag uh, for this game with the message zero tolerance so they are working on that and and hopefully not only for La Liga for football for Valencia but uh, for all all of Spain uh, uh, tomorrow we will be talking about uh, a football game and not a racial incident again. Gemma, back to on-field issues. Looks like we'll see Jude Bellingham back for Real Madrid in this match. It's hard to overstate just how much they need him and just how much they've missed him uh, over this injury absence. Yes, um, Carlo Ancelotti has confirmed earlier today that he will be playing um, I think it would be as a, not as a starter because he hasn't been able to, to complete any training uh, earlier this, this week, but he will be probably having some minutes thinking also on the, on the Champions League. The, the truth is that he has missed uh, three games, two wins and uh, the draw against uh, Rayo. And, and yeah, they have been missing his sparkle and his inspiration, especially on that draw against uh, Rayo. They, they were really needing his quality on the final third. I mean, it's Jude Bellingham. It's going to be a big boost for Real Madrid, isn't it? Absolutely. But I think if you're Carlo Ancelotti, you play this by ear. You kind of see, okay, where is this game going? Mm. What is the pace of this game? What is the reality of what's going on in front of me? Read the game as such. If you want to play Jude Bellingham and if Real Madrid need Jude Bellingham on the field, yeah, put him out there. But if there's no need to risk him, and, and you want to make sure that he is fully fit and fully ready to go. And then no need to have him on the field. And, hey, Jude, thanks for making the trip with us. But just, just sit right here with me. Mm -hmm. right? Now, of course, if you're Real Madrid, you want Jude Bellingham on the field as much as possible because of what he gives this team. And while Raheem Diaz can do a job and certainly has done a good job when he has had the opportunities, there is a difference between the qualities, the overall qualities of Jude Bellingham and what Raheem Diaz can give you. Jude Bellingham can give you some of the defensive part as well. He can give you personality in possession. He can give you dribbling with the ball over distance. He can give you passing. He can give you a presence inside the 18-yard box. He can give you a lot. Mm -hmm. And so if you're Carlo Ancelotti, again, you're reading the game, you're seeing it as such, what's Valencia doing, how are we playing, do we need this guy on the field? And if we do, Jude, get ready, let's go. Jude Bellingham, no doubt the signing of the summer for Real Madrid, the, summer of, the signing of next summer will definitely be uh, oh. Kylian Mbappe. Um, Gemma, I wonder who's nervous at Real Madrid. Obviously, everybody's excited to have him come into the team, but it means somebody in that starting 11 is going to have to give way. What is the press in Spain saying about who that might be? Well, um, of course, everybody is excited because uh, uh, signing the one of the best players in, in the world right now is exciting, but some players are also worried because uh, this is a big signing, a very expensive signing, and historically what uh, Real Madrid, what Florentino Perez has done in this kind of galactico, uh, shiny signings, what he has done is a big sell. To And when we talk about a big sell, is a player that has a, a big market, uh, so a big figure, uh, they can sell for 70, 80 millions, and, and 
and it's a player that has uh, already the purchase price has been recovered so they can balance the book perfectly um, so when we think about these names and as, as of course has to be in the in the forward line so one of the names that appears uh, is uh, Rodrigo uh, Vinicius it's also on on that list uh, so uh, it's not sure that they will have to make this operation to balance the books, but uh, it's it, it's a possibility because it's what we have been seeing uh, in the previous years, when especially in the first era when Florentino uh, was president. And uh, also, what other forwards are, are of course nervous because they won't be having enjoying uh, a lot of minutes. And we're talking. Ale was talking about uh, Brahim. He has enjoyed a, a lot of minutes lately. Uh, if we think about next season, we think about to travel a, a line of three forwards with uh, of course Mbappe uh, Bellingham and probably Vinicius is the name that it's all in all these uh, ideas of next season's Real Madrid. Jim if we could uh, let's push on from the league and focus in on Copa del Rey because the uh, Spanish press or at least parts of it celebrating uh, Athletic Club's victory over Atletico Madrid 3-0 in the second leg for a 4-0 aggregate victory, a victory very much powered by the Williams brothers, Gemma. Uh, what's been the reaction in Spain to this cup run from Athletic Club? So on one side, of course, it has to be to give a lot of credit to Athletic Club, the, the amazing form of the Williams brothers. They, they define it uh, today like the two Mbappes playing in one team. <laughs> Uh, the high pressure that they could apply and how they made a team that used to be uh, have a lot of physicality power so weak uh, and this is uh, Atletico Madrid and on the other side there has been a lot of criticism to Atletico Madrid for this disappointing season the fact that they completely lost that defensive power and especially because after that game after that defeat after that failure uh, Simeone was not critical at all um, he said that that's what we have and, and not being critical and, and the truth is that the dynamic of Atletico is, is pretty awful. One can think that even maybe the, the four uh, top spots that gives you the, the, the right to play in the Champions League could be at risk at this point because uh, on both areas are, are really weak. It's true that Griezmann was not fit uh, for yesterday's game but uh, what it was amazing the, the, that quality in the final third with Morata and Griezmann has lost the sparkle since the beginning of, of this year. And, and this has mostly been the, the, the reaction. A lot of criticism towards Atletico and a lot of praise and credit to a team that has only players from the Basque region and it's uh, Athletic Club. Athletic Club definitely deserve their flowers, but mm. Atleti, Ale, yeah. what's, what's up? And, and given what this game means in the big picture, so in case you didn't know, Atletico Madrid are not winning La Liga, right? They're going to have difficulties getting past Inter in Champions League, so they may, may be on their way out in Champions League. And so you look at what would be an opportunity for them to win a trophy, and it had to be. It had to be Copa del Rey, certainly when you look at who was left in the competition. It was Mallorca, Real Sociedad, Atletic Club, and Atletico Madrid. No Barcelona, no Real Madrid. No issues if you're Atletico Madrid. When you look around, you say, well, yes, it's us. It should be us that should win this competition. They lose the first match at the Civita Metropolitano at home, which was a surprise. First loss of the season at home. And you're thinking, okay, well, you know what we're going to see from Atletico Madrid away from home? Just a classic performance. Just a fight 
physicality, intensity, energy, all the things that Athletic Club was going to bring in San Mamés, you felt like Atletico Madrid were going to match that and more if indeed they were going to advance. And what did we see from Atletico Madrid? A compliant performance. Mm. Atletico Club dictating how the game was going to be played with their intensity, with their physicality, with their energy, with their aggression, and Atletico Madrid simply reacting to whatever Atletico Club did. Their inability to fight in the midfield and to win duels and to win 50-50 challenges while Atletico Club with Inigo Ruiz de Galarreta. And yeah, and people are going to say, well, who is that? Well, let me tell you, he was running circles around Coque and all these other players and Rodrigo de Paul, World Cup winner. Yeah, Inigo Ruiz de Galarreta was dictating how the game was going to be played in the middle of midfield. Atletico Club, without big names, yes, you have the William brothers, but with a personality of a team, were able to dictate the pace of the game, won the ball back, went in transition offensively, created mismatches on the outside, scored the goals, and Atletico Madrid were simply watching. The importance of this, of this game demanded more from Atletico Madrid, and in that case, when you put it in that context, that they demanded the best of them in order to beat Atletico Club, their performance was embarrassing. Athletic Club then through to the uh, Copa del Rey final. It will be played April 6th uh -huh. uh, in Seville, where they will face, as you mentioned, uh, Mallorca under the management of former Mexican national team and manager Javier Aguirre El Vasco. I had to get it in. You know. uh, Athletic Club, meanwhile, in league play, they'll be playing Barcelona this weekend. Here's a look at the odds. Uh, boy, tough matchup here for Barcelona. Huh, Gemma? Yes, very tough, uh, especially because uh, Athletic Club are in a, an amazing form when playing at home. 10 wins in a row, 29 goals in that 10 games. Uh, four of them were against Barcelona in the Copa del Rey uh, clash, so there are a lot of concerns. It's true that Barcelona have slightly improved since Xavi's announcement that he will no longer continue next season. Um, they haven't lost and, and they are the best team in, in numbers in, in La Liga, in victories, in, in the points that they have gained since then. But they played against Alaves, Granada, Celta de Vigo, Getafe, also Napoli. They, they just would just a draw. So this will be the First big exam after that Xavi's announcement. Uh, this is a very difficult stadium uh, always for, for Barcelona. It's true that in the, in the last games uh, they managed to, in, in La Liga, they managed to get two wins and, uh, and, and a draw in the last three games. But it's always challenging. So there is a big question. How will be the physicality of Athletic Club? It's true that it was not as demanding as we would hope at the beginning of, of yesterday's game because with that 3-0 in the second half, they could start thinking a little bit on on that Barcelona uh, clash. There was a big party yesterday in Bilbao. Uh, they have trained earlier today, but Ernesto Valverde was kind enough to push the, 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 the train a little bit uh, later at noon. And the players have been celebrated because for them it's a huge success to be in a, in a final. Uh, so we will see. Um, it's, a, it's a very physical team and Barcelona struggled so much in the Copa del Rey clash with that height pressure. So if the physicality of Atletico, the Atletico Club de Bilbao is good, I think Barcelona will struggle. A lot. Ale, we just saw the top four odds in Spain between Athletic Club and Athletic because that's that looks like the fight for that fourth spot. Who are you taking? Well, for all that I have said about Atletico Madrid, <laughs> it would be incredible for me to say Atletico Madrid in the mm -hmm. top four because obviously they failed miserably against Athletic Club. So I'm going to say Atletico Madrid. 
And Atletico Madrid are going to hang on <laughs> to the fourth position. And the reason I'll say Atletico Madrid are going to hang on to the fourth position is because for Atletico, while finishing in the top four would be great, winning Copa del Rey, I think, is far more significant. And, and, and I believe that becomes a priority now. Gemma just mentioned, and I had mentioned before, the physicality with which Atletico play. In order to play that way, that's also very draining. It's physically draining, it's mentally draining, and if you're Ernesto Valverde, you start planning ahead for Copa del Rey, you start looking ahead and, and putting a plan together as to how is it that we're going to win this game? How is it that we're going to win this title? How is it that we're going to raise this trophy? And you're going to sacrifice certain things, even if that means sacrificing results in La Liga and sacrificing potentially a run of the top four. For them to get into the top four, I think Atletico Madrid are going to have to go on a, on a downward spiral, out of control, pumping the brakes and nothing's working, so that then Atletico gets a chance to do so. But on the whole, I think Atletico Madrid gets enough results to hang on to the top four position. Atletico Club go on to win Copa del Rey, and everybody's happy. There you go. Everybody's happy, just how we like it here on uh, ESPN FC. Thank you very much, Gemma. Atletico Club against Barcelona Sunday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time here on ESPN+. Plus. Part of the upcoming schedule of games. Uh, Saturday, action kicks off with Sevilla hosting Real Sociedad. Monday, the uh, match day closes Osasuna. Uh, playing host to Alaves Barcelona in action on Sunday. Real Madrid in action on Saturday. Make sure to catch it here on ESPN+. Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They are the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC, terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And a reminder, plenty more content from the show over on our ESPN FC YouTube channel. Join the more than 3 million subscribers today. Turn our attention to the Premier League now in the uh, top half of the table. Manchester City second, Manchester United sixth ahead of the Manchester Derby on Sunday. How do the odds makers see this one? No surprise here, Manchester City installed as how do we describe this? Overwhelming favorites? Yeah, 
like uh, overwhelming favorites. Uh, were you asking me or are you just asking yourself? Well, I don't know. You look like the uh, math major here on this set. I just, just felt like you weren't so sure. Uh, all right. For more on this, uh, we welcome into the show Frank LaBeouf, uh, Rob Dawson as well, Don Hutchison still with us. Uh, before we get everybody's thoughts, let's get everybody's predictions. Okay. All right. We here have we go. some uh, homework here for the uh, Manchester Derby. And I think I'm the only one, Ale, uh-huh. that's out on a limb here. Okay? Man City, Ale says 2-0. Uh, 4 nothing says Frank. 4 nothing says Don. 4-1 says Rob Dawson. <laughs> I'm saying 2-2, and the only logic I'm using here is that every time there's a unanimous choice on the show, you always got to go in the other direction. You always got to go in the other direction. That's I just it? don't believe in it. I just don't believe in it. Oh, that's your analysis? That's my analysis. That's it? Yep. When everybody's going one way, Seb, go, Seb zags. Well. <laughs> uh, Don, what do you think? No hope here for Man United. That explains a lot. Uh, listen, Seb, I... I I said a couple of weeks ago, you asked me the question, what percentage would uh, would I give Chelsea getting something out of the City game? And I went zero, and they drew 1-1. So <laughs> I've learnt my lesson. I'll give Man United a 5% chance this time. I thought mm. they turned the corner. I was on commentary last week for the Fulham game. They went four wins on the spin, and I thought, right, they've turned it. They've found a bit of form. Last week against Fulham, right back to square one. They were pedestrian. They were slow. Marcus Rashford who's come out this week and said, you know, that he loves the football club and he, he backs himself and don't question his integrity. We're not questioning any of that. We're questioning the performances and the lack of effort. That's what we're questioning. And there was a lack of effort in the Fulham game from him. There was a lack of effort and determination from the captain, Bruno Fernandes. So going into a Man City game when De Bruyne has just had four assists and Erlen Haaland scored five, hardly any chance of United getting something out of the game. Frank, you've gone four nothing, just like Don. It seems like a good choice, but you're in the same boat as Don Hutchison. Do you want to? Do you want to change? Oh no, I don't. I don't because for me, it's not. It's not. It's not only depending on the on Manchester United that result. It's how Manchester City is going to decide the game. If Manchester City gets sloppy and uh, and go like we've seen lately, yeah, it can be a game. Uh, but if they decide to play like they normally should. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be any problem. They're far more better than Manchester United, and uh, I all, always thought that nobody can compete with Manchester City at its best, and definitely not Manchester United right now. So, with all the concern that we have about uh, Marcus Rashford, and we, I think, going to talk about Bruno Fernandes as well. You know, diving for nothing, like he, we all know he, uh, he likes to do, uh, <laughs> and and the strength and the mindset of the team. Which is at the below, uh, the, uh, the, 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 they are the level below everything comparing to what that club can offer. I don't see any any match between uh, between Manchester City and Manchester United. So again, if Manchester City decides to uh, smash uh, Manchester United, it's going to happen. Hmm. Rob, you've got it a little closer. Uh, you've got Manchester winning this game just, just by four to one. Just okay. four to one. He has given uh, Manchester United a goal. If it does go down four nothing or five nothing, where does that leave Eric Ten Hag with all these changes? You know, kind of swirling above him. Yeah, if that was to happen and it was a really bad defeat to the FC on Sunday, it really would be a, another nail in his coffin as, as Man United. Manager, there's already an awful lot of speculation in Manchester about whether he's the right guy to carry on as manager. The two things really that cost managers their jobs are poor results and new owners coming in. And, and at the moment, Eric Ten Hag is dealing with both both of those things. There is a theory in Manchester at the moment that, that Ten Hag is on trial a little bit with Sidney and Michael Ineos 
that they're kind of waiting to see how results pan out between now and the end of the season. And then at the end of the season, or, or just before the end of the season, we'll, we'll make a decision about whether Ericsson Haag is the man to carry on and be manager next season. But if they were to go to the Etihad Stadium and lose, you know, 4-0, 4-1, 5-0, 6-0, something of that nature, all those questions would, would resurface very, very quickly. And, and there would be a, a clamour among some Man United fans to, to make a change of manager right now. Um, it, it's not guaranteed that Ericsson Haag is going to be the manager of Man United um, next season. A lot will depend probably on, on whether he can get Man United back in the Champions League, back in those in the top four places. Um, but a heavy defeat to Man City against your, your Manchester rivals um, really would, would be another a very, very dark day for, for Eric. Hmm. Doubts about Eric Ten Hag's future, Rob. What about Marcus Rashford? We've all seen the article in the Players' Tribune talking about his commitment to Manchester United. I wonder what's the response been to what we've uh, seen from Marcus Rashford or heard from. Let me, let me read you the quote first. Quote, when I make a mistake... I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say that I need to do better. But if you ever question my commitment to Man United, that's when I have to speak up again. This from the uh, the Players' Tribune. Uh, in light of a few controversies, more than a few controversies over the last couple of weeks, Rob, where does this leave him? Yeah, I mean, obviously Marcus is, is well within his rights to, to say what he feels. And if he feels he's getting harshly treated by the media or by fans on social media, he, he, he can say that. But you can't kid football fans who watch the games every week. And Don is right. You know, he mentioned before that there have been occasions this season where it's looked like Marcus Rashford hasn't been putting in the required effort. Um, there was a game at Newcastle in December where he was incredibly poor and got taken off in the second half. There was even an incident in the second half against Forest on Wednesday, a game that Man United won, where the United fans behind the goal perceived Marcus Rashford to be putting in a, a lack of effort and they, they got onto him and they started to sort of shout and, and scream at him. There have been a number of incidents this season where the fans have looked at Marcus Rashford and said, you're not putting in the required effort. And Man United fans, they don't expect Marcus Rashford to score every week. And obviously it's been a poor season, goal scoring rise for, for Marcus. He's only scored five goals compared to 30 got last season. But the minimum that they demand from their players is effort. And there have been occasions this season where he just hasn't been putting in that effort. And the, the essay that the Marcus Rashford has, has penned and, and the, the quotes that you just read out of there, they haven't gone down particularly well among Man United fans because they don't care about the talking. What they want is to see that effort on the field. And they want to see it particularly in a Manchester derby on Sunday. And, and if he was to go out on Sunday and play in the same way as he has been doing, again, it, it wouldn't go down well. You know, these Man United fans are sick of talking. They're sick of hearing Marcus Rashford talk. They want to see evidence of all this commitment that he talks about. They want to see evidence of that on the pitch. I wonder, I wonder who advises these players and tells them, you know what would be a good idea? It's for you to write a letter. <laughs> a letter. <laughs> huh? Where, where you, you go after the people that have questioned your commitment. Right. When you were out on a night when, in Belfast. Oh, right. That, that's right. And yeah. you missed that, a game. In, right, because you were so committed. Yeah, yes. correct. Yeah. So committed. But, but if you write a letter, then everything goes away. <laughs> in the end, players at this level, at the professional level, they're evaluated on one thing and one thing only. And that is performance on the field. It, no letter is going to get you out of trouble if indeed fans believe that you're not giving the very best of yourself and the very best effort possible. 
No letter is going to make that better. In fact, to the point that Rob was making, it's going to make it worse because it's going to highlight it time and time again. And so fans will go, well, what about the letter? You told me in the letter you put in the commitment, but you're not sprinting the 10 yards that I need you to sprint. Marcus Rashford, do yourself a favor. Just perform on the field. Stop with the talking. Stop with the writing. None of that is going to resolve the issue for you. Uh, Don, no matter who's the manager, there's talk of a clear out this coming summer at Manchester United. If you were in charge, would you keep Marcus Rashford? Mm. Don? Where's his commitment? Where's Don's commitment? Does he, he need to write to a letter? Answer. He doesn't want to answer. <laughs> Rob, what do you think? Is there, is there a chance Manchester United could move him? Yeah, there is certainly a chance, um, I would say. And probably for the first time, lots of Man United fans are thinking maybe this is the time to move Marcus Rashford on. Um, you know, for a long time, they saw him as the face of Man United, as a, a guy that's born in Manchester, who's come up through the academy. That's the exact type of player that they want to see in the first team. Um, but for, for, the, for the first time, some Man United fans are thinking that maybe he does need a, a change of scenery. Maybe this is the time to, to move him on. The, the interesting point with that is that Man United have got financial fair play issues. And, and the one thing that solves those is, is to get rid or, or move on academy graduates because when you, when you move those players on, it's pure profit because they've got a book value of zero. So if you were to, to get rid of the likes of Scott McTominay and Marcus Rashford, that would boost their summer budget. Um, by an awful lot. And if you're talking about Sir Jim Radcliffe coming in and, and overhauling that squad and, and trying to get that squad to a level where they're matching Man City and, and Liverpool, um, the, the one thing that would boost that budget beyond anything else is to find someone to, to take Marcus Rashford on. There's already been talk in Manchester a little bit about um, Paris Saint-Germain. Um, he's been linked with PSG in the past. Obviously, PSG are going to be looking for players to replace Kylian Mbappe. Um, it's a little bit cooler from the PSG side. They're talking about players like Oshiman uh, and Rafael Leal at AC Milan. But certainly there is that link there. Um, the, the family has links with, with PSG. They've met PSG representatives before. Um, that's maybe one to keep an eye on um, ahead of the summer. How dare you question Don's commitment, Ale? How dare you question <laughs> Don's? He's going to write a letter. I thought he was writing a letter. <laughs> he is back now. Uh, Don, finish your thought there. Would you keep Marcus Rashford at Manchester United if you were in charge? Do you know what? I don't think I would. And it's not because he's not a good player. I just think probably the player needs a change. I think Man United fans probably need a change. I think they need to see different players in. Um, I don't think, looking from the outside, that his relationship with Ten Hag looks any good to me. It looks as though those two are quite distant towards each other. Um, I think the player needs a change. I think for his, for his own good. You saw him celebrate the other week when he scored a goal a couple of weeks back and he sort of gave it one of them and it was all almost like to the pundits or to the critics. It's like, just Ali's right. Stop stop with the actions. Stop writing a letter. Just get your head down. Play football. You're a fantastic young footballer. You've got time on your side, but go and play. All right, let's move on from Marcus Rashford and focus on another Manchester United star. Okay. And that would be oh. Bruno Fernandes. Oh, this is uh, Frank's Frank, favorite. This one's for you. How do you feel about Fulham using their social media to troll Bruno Fernandes for uh, what looks like a flop here? Of course, uh, writhing in plane, but he would, uh, as you'll see, get back up and get to work. Frank? <laughs> well, no, this is not very nice from Fulham, but I think it's only fair. I mean, he, he tried to... Uh, to trick the ref, uh, we, we saw, saw him definitely going down uh, by himself. Then suddenly getting back up uh, without feeling anything. 
So we all know what he had, which is nothing. And it's only fair from the club, but I don't think clubs should go, should be above that. Fans can do that. Uh, they can tease, but clubs shouldn't, shouldn't be involved with those medias in that way. Um, but I totally understand what they did. I'm totally against what Bruno Fernandes did uh, because I think he doesn't serve football, doesn't serve himself. And I mean, everybody agrees that he's a great player, that he, all, he has talent, but that once he should stop crying, two, he should stop uh, complaining, and three, he should stop diving, which is a lot for a player who has talent to compensate. All right, Frank thinks mm -hmm. that clubs should be above trolling on social media. Okay. Uh, Eric Ten Hag in the same camp uh, as Frank Lebeuf. Here's what he had right, to say about uh, Fulham. Quote, I'm not going to say what injury he has, but it's a serious injury, and seeing how serious it was, they criticized him <laughs> on social media, and it's pathetic and can't be. He has a serious injury, but he continues to play on Saturday. He fought to be part of this game. He has a very high pain threshold, and last year he did something similar at Spurs, and it shows his leadership, and that is very good when you are a leader it flows into the team. Uh, Rob, how's this going over in Manchester? Um, not great. Uh, those quotes were from um, after the game against Nottingham Forest, where Ten Hag also said that he thought that Nottingham Forest had targeted Bruno, that they'd gone after him in midfield, they'd kicked him and tried to, um, to give him rough treatment um, all evening. Um, obviously, United, again, were not happy with that clip that he showed that, that Fulham posted um they, they posted a, a video on tiktok of, of that clip and the caption was so glad he's okay with an eye rolling emoji as if to say of course there was nothing <laughs> wrong with him um so, so united were not were not very very happy with that at all they weren't happy with the social media reaction in general from fans of other clubs um as well and, and what they thought fulham had done is provoke all that that um that when a football club an official account from a football club makes that um, that kind of post that excites, incites all the other fans to kind of jump on Bruno Fernandes um, and, and criticise him in the same way. So, um, no, Man United not very happy. Eric Ten Hag not very happy. We've not heard from Bruno, but we assume Bruno's not very happy either. Um, I suppose uh, Eric Ten Hag can only hope that, that it, it motivates Bruno Fernandes to put in a fantastic performance against uh, Man City on Sunday. Don, anybody in the right here? No, Fulham are not on the right. They shouldn't get involved. They should be more professional. But no, when their arch rivals, Liverpool, are winning trophies and you look at the leaders that they've got on the pitch, leading those young players, I don't think Bruno Fernandes sets a particularly good example. I think he is a diver. I don't know why Eric Ten Hag keeps coming out with these statements where he said like the growth in the team is good, the character's good, we're on the right track, we're going to win some games, the standards have fell short, but now we're back. Bruno Fernandes got a high pain threshold. I mean, honestly, what does what does Ten Hag take us for? Like, <laughs> does he think whatever? It's almost like Eric Ten Hag goes to the media and he says what he wants to say and he believes that everyone will believe in exactly what he's saying and trust him. It's like, no, come on, Rob's right. Like, we've, all football fans have got eyes. They judge players on how they see them play. We judge players on how they act and... If they dive, they dive. If, they're, if they've got a high pain threshold, they've got a high pain threshold. If they dive into tackles, great. But we can understand the game. And fans who pay a lot of money, who watch football for weeks, months, years, they understand the game. And Ten Hag this season has been coming out of a lot of waffle. And that worries me. Mm. You love a good dive. And, I, and guess what? Mm. I know I dive when I see one. 
and that was a dive. <laughs> I'm not. Do you want you want me to defend Bruno Fernandez? Is that what you're angling? No, I'm just curious. I'm just curious what you think of the whole situation. I don't really think there's anybody to defend here, is there? No. You can't defend Fulham. You can't defend no. the player, and you certainly can't defend the manager. Talking about you know his physical threshold of pain. I I, I, I tell you, if I were Eric Ten Hag, and I would be defending my player because I think that's within my job as a manager that I'm going to stick up for my player, assuming that he's going to react in a positive manner to me defending my player. But even in defending my player, I don't want to look like a fool either. Nah, I'm, not, I'm not just going to lie to you just for the sake of defending my player. I'll defend my player and say Bruno Fernandes is going to be an important part in what we do here and in the future. He has been a very good player for us. He has been a critical part to our success and will continue to be so over the next few games and certainly hopefully over the next few years. That's it! I defended the player without talking about pain threshold mm -hmm. and looking like a fool. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the difference. See, I think you cross over into looking like a fool if you're Ten Hag by saying things like pain threshold. And when you think pain threshold, you do not think Bruno Fernandes. Mm. A whole lot of waffle, I think, is the, yeah. the term that uh, Don Hutchison used. We never get a whole lot of waffle from uh, Rob. Rob, thanks for uh, joining us here on ESPN FC. The rest of the group here will be back for today's edition of Extra Time. Of course, you can catch over on the YouTube channel. That's where we take your questions from social media. Do not miss it. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. PSG playing to a scoreless straw away against Monaco. Kylian Mbappe subbed off at the half by Luis Enrique, who wants to get ready for life without his superstar player. Still for PSG, the gap between them in second place sits at 12. Speaking of... French World Cup champions, Frank LeBeau uh -huh. still with us. Uh, Frank, what did you make of this game and really the scenes with Mbappe uh, as he was subbed off there? Well, that's the breaking news, you know. All the French uh, newspapers and uh, television shows uh, were wondering, you know, why uh, Enrique took that decision. And uh, after the game, uh, Enrique just explained that uh, we have at some point need to, uh, and I quote him, we have at some point need to... Uh, to try to play without him because it's going to happen at one point. Uh, and it's why I decided to put him out. Yeah, it's uh, that decision. It's not a punishment. He said, not at all. You know, I have decided that. It's not to punish him. It's just to, uh, to try a new system because at some point, again, we're going to play without him. So it's, uh, it's only fair. I mean, it, wasn't, it was a very good game to, to watch first. Um, even if I think the two best players in that game were the two goalkeepers. So you, you could say that some clumsiness, but I think it's more 
uh, fit from the from mm. the goalkeepers who uh, who kept the clean sheet because of their talent more than the the strikers missing something uh, obvious. So they they tried their best. Monaco did very well the first half. Paris changed their mind. Vitinha was more involved. It was a very good game to watch, but nothing much to play because we all know that Paris is going to finish first in the Liga. What do you think of the logic here from Luis Enrique? I got to get used to playing without him, so I'm not going to use him the whole 90 minutes. Uh, honestly, I suppose it's an explanation that you can give if you're Luis Enrique, and if you look into it, it would seem to make sense. But the truth is that if you're Luis Enrique and you're PSG, if Kylian Mbappe indeed does leave and go to Real Madrid, you're going to bring in another player. So when do you get used to playing with that guy? Because it's a new player. So that story then breaks down. That reasoning breaks down because, quite frankly, this front three won't be the same front three that will play next season. They will not. They bring somebody else. And so I think this is more of a power play by Luis Enrique. Really? And it's more, it's more him making sure that everybody knows that he's the one making the decisions and that it's not as powerful as Kylian Mbappe may seem from the outside, that is not Kylian Mbappe, and that the interest of Luis Enrique is PSG, and indeed the, 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 the welfare of PSG, not Kylian Mbappe. I suppose this is where he's going with this decision. I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense, because guess what? You, you're still in competitions, and while league odds seems to be won, what about Champions League? Right. And don't you want this team to be flying, going into Champions League, with the best rhythm possible, with your player with your best player playing at the highest level possible? I'm just saying, I would do it differently if I were him. Frank, what about Mbappe's teammates? How do you think they'll I, respond to what they saw today? Go on. Uh, well, I, I think, I think uh, the players and the teammates, they, they, they don't really care. They know what's going on, and they know at some point that stars can leave a club and that you have to, to handle that and, uh, and to, cope with the to cope with the situation. The... Uh, the only thing we say, there is no other way for Enrique to explain why he put him out. Even if it's, let's say, a punishment, he cannot say it. Because um, don't forget that last summer, um, Mbappe already wrote a letter and said, you know, I'm going to leave. And he had the right to do so. So you're not going to punish him now. You already did last summer. You realized that you needed him to be back because uh, the results weren't there. And then, um, you know... Uh, they have a championship game, a Champions League game, sorry. Marquinhos is already almost injured, so they don't know if he's going to play or not. They want to make sure they're going to have Mbappe at 100% to, to win against Real Sociedad away from home. So, so they need Mbappe. They desperately need Mbappe. So they don't want him to get injured. So that can be the reason also, or also can be the reason why he uh, substituted him. So, so they don't, then don't play him. That's that, that from right. a logic standpoint, if, like if you if, want to get accustomed to yeah, it. Yeah, if you're going to save them yeah. for Champions League and you're looking to see what your team is going to look like without killing Mbappe, there, here is a magical way. This is in a mysterious way. Don't play him. Mm -hmm. Don't put him on the field at all. He no, won't be a risk if he's do. not on the field. Uh, Ali, Ali, I just want to remind you that maybe that will, can be also be a nice gesture from Henri, Luis Enrique that before leaving uh, uh, his country... Mbappé can play the last game in Monaco where he used to grow as a football player. And so maybe he can be also <laughs> a tribute, let's say. Okay. All right. Felt like a tribute. Well, <laughs> he took it like a tribute. He, he certainly like tribute. walked around like a tribute. 
We have some more cup news oh. here out of North America. There's been a saga brewing between uh, MLS and U.S. soccer over whether MLS would participate uh-huh. fully in the Open Cup. We now know MLS will not be participating fully. Instead, just eight teams will play in the 2024 Open Cup. They are Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, the defending champs, uh-huh. uh, LAFC, RSL, San Jose, Seattle, and Kansas City. Uh, as someone who's played in quite a few Open Cup games uh-huh. uh, in your time, what do you think of this? It's hard to take this seriously, to be quite honest with you. This is laughable as it pertains to what has happened to the U.S. Open Cup mm-hmm. and MLS's approach to the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, I'm surprised that the United States Soccer Federation hasn't taken a stronger position here in, in saying, look, are you kidding me right now? We need you to participate. This tournament needs you to participate. It, if, if the FA Cup is good enough for Liverpool, the Open Cup should be good enough for the LA Galaxy. I mean, it, it, it goes, and, and that is just as a, as a logical thought. Mm-hmm. But when you go deeper into this, so it's, it's no longer a U.S. Open Cup. It's like the not-so-open cup. It's uh, sort of a part-time MLS participation here. It's uh, kind of MLS, but not really. And it's really not the best teams from MLS that are participating. I don't know who sits in a room mm-hmm. and makes these decisions and says, hey, let me tell you what we're going to do here. Only eight teams from MLS are going to participate. The rest is going to send whatever their reserve team or whatever they're called MLS now. Next Pro, a- a- MLS yeah. Next Pro, nonsense, this and that and the other. What, what, what happens with a team like DC United that doesn't have an MLS Next Pro? What, what is their story? They're out. Okay, no so involvement. So, so if you, if you want to put together a checklist of things that you need to do in order to kill off a competition like the Open Cup, do what, what MLS is doing right now and do what the U.S. Soccer Federation is doing right now. Yeah. It, this, you cannot turn your... And I've said this about MLS, and I, I go back to the dispute that they had over the Columbus crew when, when they were about to be moved to uh, Austin for no reason in particular. Well, because the owner, owner wanted to make some money. Uh, uh, correct. Shout out Anthony Precourt. Uh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Uh-huh. And, and by the way, what has happened since is the Columbus Oh, crew. Columbus has become a good team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and has won two championships. Right. And a stadium in place. Okay, well, whatever. I, I, I digress. Regardless, as I said then and I'll say now, there is an importance to appreciating the history of the game in this country that hasn't been all that long. But guess what? The U.S. Open Cup is very much part of the history of soccer in this country. And somehow we, as, as a whole... Just overlook the Open Cup, the importance of the competition, and now are treating it as a second-class citizen. Mm. We're treating it as, you know what, it means nothing to us. As a league, as a federation, we'll do with eight teams. With, it's, it, it, that in itself is it's just embarrassing because you, you're essentially saying this doesn't matter to us. MLS teams should all play the Open Cup because it's not just about MLS. It's about the structure of soccer in this country and how you help smaller market and smaller teams to spread. Indeed, if indeed this is about spreading the gospel of the game, Open Cup does that. Open Cup does that for you. And guess what? You're not doing it. So this is, I'll tell you what this is about. This is about control. This is about money. This is not about the benefit of the game in this country. It is, again... 
laughable and embarrassing, both from MLS and U.S. soccer, but certainly from the MLS perspective. The, all their teams should play, and if the coaches decide that they want to play their reserves or their second team or whatever the case may be, or the substitutes, so on and so forth, that's a, a decision made by the coach. But the MLS teams should participate in the Open Cup. It should. Real Madrid participates in Copa del Rey. Liverpool participates in FA Cup. Guess what? Bayern Munich participates in Pokal. And you're telling me that the LA Galaxy is too good for the Open Cup? Get out of here with that. You kidding me? The folks at MLS will tell you it's about fixture congestion. Uh, yeah. I don't believe them. I don't believe well, them. Oh, isn't this the but same league that has all sorts of friendlies in the middle of the season? Leagues Cup, oh, international oh, friendlies, oh, middle I'm sorry. of the season. Yeah, okay. yeah. Anywhere they can make a buck, they'll grab it unless it's the uh, Open Cup. This will be discussed at great length oh. with stakeholders from all sides okay. on Monday. And those who don't show will be named and shamed. <laughs> You know, you, you know who I'm talking about. Football Americas, Hurricane oh. Seb, Monday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on ESPN+. That'll do it for us here in the ESPN FC studios. For Ale, I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. Don't go far, though. Extra time starts right now. Hey there, everybody. Welcome hey, into this edition of ESPN FC's hey. Extra Time. Frank, Don, hey. Ale. Seb, here with you. Oh, they got me all fired up talking about the Open Cup before we started extra time. Are <laughs> you t- you're talking in a third person now? Uh, and my and I, I'm here. I'm here as well. <laughs> okay. Just I'm some just guy. I'm just saying, I'm just, you're that guy now. All right, uh, Natum's interior decorator chimes in with the first question here. For all, is it time for Bayern to move on from Tuchel and bring in Hansi Flick to salvage something from this season? Uh, we talked about it on the show. Frank, what do you think? Should they pull the plug on Tuchel? Yeah, I think it's the time for him to leave. But like anybody else, who uh, I, don't, I don't understand. It's like a fashion stuff where play, uh, fa- uh, sorry, coaches are saying before the end of the season what they're going to do at the end of the season. As soon as you do that, you create something special um, in the dressing room and also in the fi- fans' uh, uh, brain where you're not you're not concerned anymore. And especially when you don't have results, it can be good for Jurgen Klopp because he has results, and we all know what he already did, you know, in the past. But for you, for for uh, Thomas Tuchel, that's the end of it. As soon as you say I'm going to leave, now you should leave right now because you're not concerned anymore, uh, and, and and you should let somebody go uh, and, and try to save something. So if it's NC Flick, why not, or, or some uh, or, or any other? But I think it's uh, your time is, uh, is over. Would another manager really make a difference with this Bayern squad? Well, I think there would be a reaction from the, from the team at the very least. Uh, right now, Bayern Munich are, and we described it in the coverage of the game, in purgatory. They're neither here nor there. It's a, it's a team that doesn't really know what is it that they're playing for. The Bundesliga seems to be gone, realistically. I don't think they have a chance there. And Champions League seems to be difficult as well with the level of play. But that's still out there as a possibility. And how are you going to get a reaction? Well, you're not going to get it from Thomas Tuchel because the players already know he's gone. He is gone. And if a manager is gone, the players are no longer interested in what he has to say. Let's turn our attention to the uh, English title race. Amin asks for all, who will drop points first? Arsenal, Liverpool, or City? Don, I'll start this question with you. Oh. Arsenal beat Sheffield United this weekend. Comfortable. I mean, Sheffield are leaking goals, so put them down for a five. The tricky one, I think, out of all of them, I think Man City beat Man United by four. 
I think the tricky one for Liverpool with their, even though they've got Saboz lie back, they still haven't got Salah back, they're still carrying one or two injuries. Forest can be a tricky place for Liverpool. They're not in great form, Forest, but it can be quite a hostile atmosphere. I remember Liverpool struggling there last season. So if I was to answer the question this weekend, potentially Liverpool. Frank, you agreed with Don on the pick between Manchester City and Manchester United. Are you going to risk it and do it again? Do you think Liverpool will be the first between Arsenal, Liverpool and Manchester City to drop points in what's left of the Premier League season? Hard to answer. I mean, you already asked our prediction for Manchester City, Manchester United. So if I say that it can be tricky for Manchester City, where I said in a prediction that they're going to win 4-0, uh, but I, I'm, uh, I'm all over the place. So I won't say that. But uh, I already, I always thought that Arsenal were the least uh, ready to, to cope with the situation and the pressure because of still their inexperience in that level comparing to Liverpool and Manchester City. So I would have the tendency to say that Arsenal will start dropping points before the two others. But I agree with, uh, with Don, you know, it can be tricky for this weekend for, for Liverpool as well. Uh, but um, what we saw, what we saw lately after winning the Carabao Cup and uh, and uh, what the and the game that they play and feel after, they're ready to respond. So I'm, I think I'm going to keep a slight uh, less good opinion about Arsenal than Liverpool. Okay. Let's say that they all win this weekend. Doesn't City play Liverpool next weekend? Yep, that's correct. Yep. yep. So. One of them or both of them may be dropping points. There you go. I'm just saying. They could both drop points yeah. and then Arsenal would uh, I'm just saying. I'm just playing walk. math here. Onana said it took him six or seven months to feel good at Manchester United. How long did it take you to feel good and or comfortable when you joined a new club? What was your... Uh, well, I, I, I must say that perhaps for those of us in Major League Soccer, it's a little bit different because you can actually get traded in the middle of a season. So you could start a training session on a Tuesday with your current team. That training session is over and you get, you get pulled over into the office and say, we just traded you to wherever. Did that and, happen to you? Uh, yes, it certainly, most certainly did. And so guess what? On the Wednesday or even that night, you're flying over to the other city. On Wednesday, you're training with a new team. And by Saturday, you're playing with the new team. So it's very much a part of the reality of a player in Major League Soccer and very much part of the reality of sports here in the United States. Uh, being traded is part of it. So I think, sadly, you kind of get used to the idea that this could happen to you. You better be ready to play for another team right away. Don, how long did it take you to See? settle in with a new team? Oh, about one day. <laughs> I miss I miss those days. <laughs> I, I miss those days. Uh, Even Millwall. Well, no, 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 I never settled there. No, when I was a young lad at Liverpool, it obviously took me a long time, but the older you get, the easier it is. But I miss those days before we had transfer windows. Back in the day, you could get traded, as, as Ali says, at any given time in the Premier League. That's the way it was in the early days, and it was I thought it was amazing for it. Uh, no, I was always all right settling in pretty quick. Mm. Frank, Craig said you were famously shy in your first few months at Chelsea. What? <laughs> nah, you know, it, it took me like, yeah, yeah, sure. It took me like two minutes to settle down to every, every club that I signed for. I was in Laval and I signed in, 
uh, in November, I think late November, yes, late November, because my daughter was born like a week after we, uh, we, we landed in Strasbourg. And uh, I won the game on the Friday. I scored the goal. My daughter got born, so it was done. Then I signed for Chelsea. And after three, three days, uh, three days, three uh, games, uh, I was the top scorer of Chelsea, being a defender, and we had the best defense. So I would say, like, yeah, two minutes. That's uh, pretty. Yeah. <laughs> so what took Don one done. day took Frank two minutes. Huh? Of course it did. Uh, yeah. I score goals. Done. That's what I do. That's hey, that's uh, for Frank. Frank right actually, <laughs> next question is for Frank. <laughs> French manager edition of start. Oh, here we go. Bench drop. Here we go. Arsene Wenger, Didier Deschamps. I may jacket. Oh. <laughs> if it's a personal choice, I definitely go for Emi Jacquet first because he picked me. Uh, and after I go for Wenger because he's really a legend and Didier Deschamps because he was only my teammate. But now, as a pundit part of you, you have to go for Didier Deschamps. I mean, what he did uh, with the national team, but before with Marseille, when he became uh, champion of France and uh, didn't happen for a while. Uh, what he did with Juventus when he brought Juventus back to the, to the Serie A is simply amazing. I mean, the guy is a hard worker and he deserves all the credit. Uh, Arsene Wenger, again, is, is a legend. I mean, what he did in Monaco and after he went to Japan and did very well and went to Arsenal and changed the club, dramatically changed the club and, uh, and made uh, Arsenal, if it's not the biggest club, one of the biggest clubs in the world. And then Jacke, because Jacke is nostalgia. Uh, what he did with Bordeaux was amazing. Of course, what he did with France in that World Cup, preparing his team uh, as a club was simply amazing. And uh, he, he, he deserved all the credit. But I have to put Didier first, Arsene Wenger second, and Emi Jacke third. And, and Frank, what is the best decision that Emi Jacke made in that World Cup? Oh, you know that. Waiting for the right final to put the right guy. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> That's right. And we're done. <laughs> and we're done. Stevie's pocket change. Don, in a hypothetical final that was played tomorrow, put your Serie A hat on for this one. Who wins? Yeah. This year's Inter or last year's Napoli? Oh, what a question. What a question. Well, which one had a Mexican international on it? Oh, here we go. No, what a question, because Napoli last year were blowing everyone away by mm -hmm. fours and fives. That's exactly what Inter are doing this season. I mean, it's an amazing question, and it is hypothetical, so I've got to give an answer. I would say last year's Napoli. I'll tell you what the best question that we can ask right now is, where is Don, and where did they set up the beautiful internet setup he had before mm -hmm. and now we're into this in which we don't know whether he's going to stick around or not uh, in percentage terms Ali there's zero percentage terms of my internet <laughs> lasting for the remainder of this show yes. I'm in a hotel <laughs> in Stockley Park I've just finished uh, a few hours ago a Saudi game then I'm relaxing tonight then I'm uh, on Forest Liverpool tomorrow so I'm in a hotel in the middle of nowhere with my bed just calling me over there somewhere. There oh, it is. All right. Okay. Well, there it is. Oh, okay. There we go. Calling those Saudi games, you'd think he could afford some internet. You know, <laughs> is what I'm saying, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a patriot. What more can I do? 
a patron. Uh, what more can I do? Work? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying everybody seems to be everybody internet. seems to be making money in the Saudi league. Mm. Apparently not done. All I'm right, last question. <laughs> From Steve Nichols, ground beef. Frank, what would you rather? A Ballon d'Or or an Academy Award for Best Actor? Oh, what a question. Again, that's against my philosophy of life. In those matters, in football, having a Ballon d'Or doesn't mean anything because you share the field with different positioning, uh, different position, and also different players. And without the players, you cannot be the one. You cannot be the GOAT, and you need the others. So you can be the best player in your position, but you cannot com compare positions uh, and uh, compare Messi with uh, Sergio Ramos at his best. That's impossible, doesn't mean anything. For a leading actor, Oscar, again, uh, without the script, without the director, without the, uh, um, how do you call that? The, God, the guy who put the, uh, the editor, the editor, you are nobody. You are nobody. Because, you know, when you are not good, they can take you from the back. And you become very good from the back because we don't see your face. You know what it is? <laughs> That's what it is for me in movies. So you can be a very good actor and I can names, name actors, great actors, that you can take on the, in the first take uh, and face to face and they are like that. But you cannot forget the story. You cannot forget the, direct, the directing, the lights, uh, the edit, editing. And the editing, the guys should be stars because they, they, again, they, 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 they get you when they need you and when you are your best. And, uh, and you don't forget that you, you need the others to make it work. So again, it doesn't mean anything. And when I hear, oh my God, that guy is good on this movie. Yeah, how many takes it, it took? How many takes did you need to be good? One, five, 50, 100? That we'll never know. Look at Frank shouting out the editors. There's some uh, production oh, assistants sorry, pretty happy sorry, about sorry. that. Uh, because when we do extra time, we're supposed to answer the question. Mm -hmm. Was there an answer there from Frank? No answer. I think he hates individual awards. I think uh, that's okay, the answer. Okay, okay. Um, Ali, my answer, my answer is because the Ballon d'Or is too, is too late for me. Let's hope for an Oscar. We never know. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and if you doubted Frank's acting, mm -hmm. The answer will be found if he, they're taking the shot from behind. Right, yes. right. then you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, I, I might have a chance. I might have a good chance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if our show could brag about not just having a World Cup winner, uh -huh. but an Oscar Ooh. winner as uh, well. And only yeah, one person? It was the same person. It's the same only person. one right. person. Oh, what a moment that done. would be. And voila. <laughs> what a moment that would be. Voila. Uh, we'll have to hold our breaths. All right, uh, that'll do it for this edition oh. of Extra Time. Thanks to Frank and Don. Ale, thanks to you. Oh, thank as you. Well. Thanks to everybody for sending in your questions. We will be back tomorrow for another fun edition of ESPN FC. Hope to see you then. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is to not search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com FC. Just go to Indeed.com FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 